The church is filled with young Christians who grew up in the church, who spent their lives going to youth group and summer camps and VBSs and all of the things, who spent time reading their Bibles in the morning and trying to be a good Christian kid, who now find themselves wrestling through the realities of spiritual apathy, this feeling of aimlessness and wandering, a lack of passion and a wondering of what is wrong with me? I thought I was a Christian. Why do I feel this way? If that's you listening, welcome. If it's not you, but you know someone struggling, we ask, bring them along for this journey. Because here on the Good Lion Podcast, we want to help walk Christians through their spiritual apathy and help them rediscover the person of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the love of Jesus. And today on this episode, we're going to be talking about the holiness of Jesus, the holiness of God, and the holiness that we as Christians are called to. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. And before we get into the episode, I invite you to take a moment to pause and listen to the beautiful words of the song Awake by Josh White, lyrics based on the words of Ephesians 5, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Listen briefly to a small portion of this song and let it get you in the right headspace for what you're about to hear on the episode today. So let's take a moment to define holiness. Holiness is a word, if you've grown up in the church like me, a lot of times it can be like, what does this word actually even mean? We hear it a lot, but it's not always clearly defined. I know for me, when I used to hear it, I thought of perfection. I thought when the Bible said God saying to us, be holy as I am holy, what that meant was be perfect as I am perfect, which always used to stress me out a ton because I was like, I'm not perfect. And when I try to be <laughs> like, I, I, I fail a lot. So as I grew in the faith, I started to study this phrase and I fell on a definition that to me seemed very biblical, which was holiness actually means to be set apart for a purpose. When God calls humans to be holy, he's not calling them 
to be perfect. He's calling them to be set apart for the perfect one. And this is the primary definition I've held on to for the last several years until recently I was sitting in my seminary class with Professor Gary Brashears and I brought up this definition while we were discussing holiness and he was like, oh, actually, that's not the definition that I think is most accurate. And I was just like, oh, no, have I been using the the complete wrong definition? And he was like, well, no, no, no. But like, really, the best definition of holiness that you can get from the scriptures is dedicated to, which I, I really think is is very brilliant because to be set apart for something, right? It, it's it's similar to dedication, but it's a little impersonal. But when you're dedicated to someone, not just set apart for something, but dedicated to someone, that's where I really think we start to see the beauty of the meaning of holiness. Because if you're dedicated to someone, you'll be set apart for that relationship. I am dedicated to my wife, and so I am set apart for our marriage. That's how I'm connecting the dots in my mind. And, you know, I remember the analogy. This is a stupid analogy, but (laughs) I've got to share it. Uh, For me, when I was a junior high pastor, I had a tea kettle in my office, one of those electric tea kettles where you'd flip the switch and it would heat up the water. And this was my tea kettle. It wasn't anybody else's, right? So the tea kettle is dedicated to me and it's set apart for a purpose, which would be heating up water for tea. One day (laughs) I went into my office and found the holiness of my tea kettle was utterly defiled. (laughs) And basically what happened was some of my students thought it would be hilarious to fill my tea kettle with Diet Coke and light bulbs, which is not what the tea kettle's for. So it was a desecration of the holiness of the tea kettle. Now, if you want to get less juvenile and more mature with an illustration, the first thing that comes to my mind is defiling of the holiness of a marriage. You're supposed to be dedicated to someone and set apart for that relationship. But if you start introducing outside elements, like, for instance, emotional connections with other men and women who are not your spouse or sexual relationships with people who are not your husband or your wife, that is a defiling of the holiness. So then if I connect this to our relationship with God, in my mind, I think, who is God to me? He's my father. He's my friend. He's my Lord. He's my king. And he calls me to be dedicated to him. That doesn't mean that I have to spend every single moment of my waking day on my knees praying or worshiping in a church service or even doing charitable deeds for others because uh, like that that's not how any relationship works. I'm dedicated to my wife, but I also go to work. Occasionally, I watch a Netflix show on my own. Sometimes I go to the store without her. But despite all that, There is so much of my life that is dedicated to her, putting her first, putting her needs first, not just treating my life as it is my own and I make all of my own decisions and I'm the captain of my own destiny. No, I, I am dedicated to my wife. And so I make sacrifices and decisions and adjustments to my dreams and my vision to factor in a very prominent chief role in my life, this relationship between this woman I've dedicated my life to. 
I think even more so that is what God is looking at. Yes, you're not going to spend every waking moment of your day praying, but is your life holy? Is it dedicated to God? Is it set apart for his purposes? If you want to awake from the slumber of your apathy, remember the trajectory of this whole series. You start with what is the story of God? What is his mission? What is he, what is he all about? What is he doing in the world? What has he done? What is he going to do? And where do I find myself in that story? And then from there, wake up to the love of God. Understand that this whole story is a love story and he loves you. And he wrote this story because he wants a family. He wants a friendship. He wants sons and daughters. And then from there, we move to holiness, dedication to God, set apart to God. If you want to wake up from your apathy, remember that you're called to be holy and then look at your life and ask the hard questions. Is my life reflecting this dedication to God? Is my life set apart? Am I making hard decisions and adjustments to things like maybe my job, my, my career, my goals, my visions, my dreams? Are you running all of that through God, your master? Is he your master, your Lord? Is he your Lord, your King? Is he actually your king? Or in your mind, is he just along for the ride? Is he the genie in the bottle? And you only pray to get the genie to come out and help you with whatever obstacle you're facing in your life instead of calling on your king and saying, my Lord, this is the path I'm on, but is this even the path you want me on? Is there a different path? Is there a better path? Please direct my steps, direct my path, Lord. I think so often we lose sight of the voice and the direction of God in our life. And that brings me to the story of Josiah. So in the book of 2 Kings chapter 22, we find the story of the youngest king in Israel's history, Josiah. Verses 1 and 2 say, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now stop for a minute and just go back to that very first sentence. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Eight years old, that's kind of crazy. I don't know how I would feel about an eight-year-old ruling my kingdom. The crazy thing, though, is his legacy is not that he burned the entire kingdom to the ground. No, it's he did right in God's eyes. This is actually super significant because if you study the passage and the context and the history, you'll know that Josiah's grandpa, Manasseh, led Israel into 55 years of evil. Josiah's father, Ammon, was also noted as being wicked. But when Josiah becomes king, he says, I will do what is right in God's eyes. Josiah wakes up to the reality of holiness. Now, as you study this story, you'll notice something. In Josiah's time, the temple had been neglected for generations. The place where they gathered to be in God's presence, to study the scriptures, to worship him, that place had been neglected for generations. I definitely see a link and a parallel there in our own lives. One of the biggest causes of apathy growing in our hearts 
is when we neglect the presence of God in our life. That's what the temple was for, the presence of God. For us as Christians, when we neglect being with God, spending time with him, studying his scriptures, worshiping him, gathering together with other believers, we can be sure that apathy will not be far behind. Let's jump back into the story. Chapter 22 tells us that in the 18th year of the reign of King Josiah, Josiah gets inspired and says, we need to restore the temple. We need to get it back to its former glory. And so he starts hiring carpenters and builders and masons and contractors to go out and work to restore the temple. While all this is going on, they discover an ancient scroll, a copy of the scrolls of Moses, the Torah, lying around in the temple and so they bring it to the king and Josiah reads it and he is just floored. Because of the wicked influence of his father and his grandfather, Josiah and the entire kingdom basically had forgotten about their purpose, their holiness, the story of God and Israel and what the Hebrew people were called to be set apart for, which we of course know they were set apart to be this nation dedicated wholly for God, for Yahweh, leading the way eventually for a future where the Messiah, Jesus, would be born and save the entire world. Josiah and the entire nation of Israel had been so far removed, so separated from that plan. Reading these scrolls for the first time blew his mind, seeing God's heart, his character, who he was, what he was about, his plan of redemption for the world. And it says when Josiah read what was written in the book, in the book of God's revelation, he ripped his robes in dismay. And he tells all of his servants and aides, he says, go away from me and pray to God for me and for this people, for all of Judah. Find out what we must do in response to what is written in this book that has just been found. God's anger must be burning furiously against us. Our ancestors, my, my father, my grandfather, they haven't obeyed a thing written in this book. They followed none of the instructions directed towards us. Incredible. When Josiah reads the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures for the first time, he's brought to his knees because he never knew that God had written his words, his commandments, his mission, purpose, and passion all down clearly for the Hebrew people to read and internalize and learn the meaning of holiness. His heart was exposed to God's word and he was convicted to the core. He understands that these words and the scriptures are worth more than gold and he knows for the first time what holiness is and he looks at his nation and, and, and suddenly this thing that he's probably felt for years, just seeing how rotten his country is, his nation is, because of the wickedness of his father and his grandfather. He sees that corruption for what it is. It's because the people who came before him did not know the meaning of holiness. Chapter 23 paints the story this way. Then Josiah called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all of the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul. And thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. This is incredible. 
Josiah renews for the entire country this sense of holiness, of covenant. A covenant is what? An agreement between God and man to work together for a purpose. So often in our state of apathy that comes from a lack of care for who God is and his story and his love, we lose sight of the covenant that we are called to as Christians. The new covenant, the call to work together with God and showing other people who he is and what his heart is and what his love is all about to to usher in the new kingdom. So often it is our apathy that makes us lose sight of this call to covenant and holiness. And that's what makes Josiah's reaction so stunning. I mean, if you read the rest of the story, he goes on this rampage of holiness. He throws out all of the false gods and idols and burns them. He eliminates the priests of the false god. He burns the Asherah poles, which are these poles that were set up to honor the false goddess Asherah, and he scatters the dust of the poles in the graveyards. He goes and he tears down the houses of the male prostitutes who sold their bodies in the temple. He destroys the altars of Molech where they committed child sacrifices. He removes the horses and destroys the chariots that were dedicated to the sun god. He smashes the altars of the false gods and throws their rubble into a valley. And then he covers them with the bones of the false prophets. That's pretty intense. Like, holy cow. Scripture then says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength. The story of Josiah is compelling and it's challenging for us. It's a challenge for us to wake up to the reality of holiness, the call to be set apart. And where does that start? Well, think about it. What does Josiah find in the rubble of the temple? He finds the scriptures. He finds the word of God. For so many of us, this is relatable because just like that text of the scrolls of Moses, the Torah sat in the rubble of the temple. For how many of us does the canon of scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the gospels, the epistles, the law, how often does that just sit on our shelves? The average Christian has multiple copies, multiple Bibles scattered throughout different bookshelves in their house. Josiah's story shows us what can happen when we actually open the book. When he opens up the book, his life is changed. It makes me think of a parallel to the New Testament story of Peter, where in one of Jesus's darkest moments, he turns to his disciples and says, so are you guys going to leave me as well? And Peter responds, Lord, how could we leave you? It is you who have the words of life. How changed would our lives be if we truly looked to the scriptures and said, these are the words of life. If we allowed the words of Christ to actually change our world, if we truly want to wake up from our apathy, if we truly want to wake up to the realities of the story of God and the love of God, there is no place that will give us a clear understanding of the story of God and the love of God and the holiness of God than the scriptures. Open up the book and allow it to wake you up to the reality of your call to holiness. Believe it or not, spiritual revivals often begin with just one person awakening to what God is doing. 
This is why I love the lyrics of the Leland song, Great Awakening, so much. One man awakes, awakens another. Second one awakes, his next door brother. Three awaken, rise a town and turn the whole place upside down. Many awake will cause such a fuss. It finally awakes all of us. One man awakes with dawn in his eyes. Truly then it multiplies. Truly then it multiplies. So, so good. And it's not just a catchy song. It's this reality of what happens when we wake up to holiness, to the idea that we are called and set apart for a purpose. For those of us who are Christians, we know that one of the greatest purposes that we can have in this life is loving God, living for God, and spreading the truth of God, the gospel, to others. And the thing is, God can do a lot with a little. He can do so much with somebody who has just decided to live a life set apart. There's this classic story I heard when I was a young pastor, and I want to share it with you guys here. It was the year 1858 in the city of Boston. Edward Kimball was a young Sunday school teacher who made it a habit to personally give each student in his class an opportunity to accept Christ as their Lord. He was concerned about one of his students who worked in a shoe store. One day, Kimball visited the young man at the store where he found him in the back stocking shelves and he led him to Christ right there. That student's name was Dwight L. Moody. And Dwight Moody eventually left the shoe business to become one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Moody becomes this international speaker and tours the British islands. One day he goes and he preaches a sermon in a little chapel pastored by a young man named Frederick Meyer. In his sermon, he told the story of his Sunday school teacher, Mr. Kimball, and that message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry, inspiring Meyer to then become an evangelist like Moody. Meyer eventually travels to America to preach in a town called Northfield, where a young preacher heard him say, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? That remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to God's call on his life. Wilbur Chapman went on to become an effective evangelist as well. He enlisted the help of a volunteer named Billy Sunday who helped him set up for his crusades. Billy Sunday learned how to preach by watching Chapman and eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming a dynamic evangelist. Billy Sunday's preaching brought thousands to Christ. Inspired by a Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of Christian men dedicated themselves to reaching their city for Christ. They contacted an evangelist named Mordecai Ham to come and hold a series of evangelistic meetings. The year was 1932. A local farmer loaded up his pickup truck with neighbors and brought them to the meetings. One was a 16-year-old boy who sat in the crowd each night spellbound by the message. Each evening, the preacher seemed to be shouting and waving his finger at the young man. Night after night, the teenager came to the meetings and finally on the last night, he went forward and gave his life to Jesus. That teenager was Billy Graham. Billy Graham, as you probably know, has communicated the gospel to more people than any other person in history. The thing is, it all started with a humble, simple Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball, who cared for the souls of his students so much that he personally tried to make sure they knew and understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only eternity will reveal the full impact of that one simple teacher who was holy and set apart, who was awake to the reality of holiness, the call on his life to reach others for Jesus so encouraging and such a testimony to what God can do with just simple obedience with a life that is humble and set apart. 
holy, committed to holiness, awake to the reality that we are called to live holy lives. So to wrap up this episode, I just want to share really my heart and why we produce this content. I know firsthand what spiritual apathy is like. I've said several times, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. I did all the Christian-y things. And I have had so many times in my life where I struggled to follow Jesus with my whole heart. I struggled to dedicate and devote myself and set myself apart for Christ. But I know that every time that God used somebody in my life to call me back, to wake me up, it it has been just the greatest gift to me to remind me of this is who you are. This is what you're called to. This is the God who loves you and deserves your dedication. I cannot tell you how much that has meant to me to have people in my life who have reminded me of the story and the love and the calling and the holiness of God. And so that's that's what we want to do on this episode. We want to remind you. We want to wake you up and inspire you to rediscover the beauty of this faith. My prayer is that you listening would be a part of a generation that rediscovers holiness. And that doesn't mean legalism. You know, I mean, I grew up in this weird space in the faith where it was like, hey, Don't watch Harry Potter movies or you'll turn into a satanic wizard. And, you know, all my friends read the books and watched the movies and not one of them is a wizard, witch or Satanist. Plus, we were watching Disney movies way before Harry Potter and those are filled with spells and witches and dragons. That's neither here nor there. Legalism is nonsense. It's bondage. But holiness is amazing. Holiness is where you look at your life and say, I'm loved, I'm called, I'm chosen, I'm here to serve and dedicate myself to Jesus. And then because you are holy, dedicated, set apart, you say, I'm going to throw aside any weight or sin that is slowing me down and holding me back from following Jesus with my whole heart. That's going to look different all across the board. For some people, that's going to be an obsession with social media and running the social media rat race and trying to look good and appear good and have it all together. For other people, that's going to be sins like pornography, sins like relationships that are causing you to stumble, causing you to commit sins, friendships that cause you to sin. For other people, it's going to be your own vision for your life, your dreams, your goals, your fears, your doubts, your anxieties, the labels that you allow yourself to have. All of these things can serve as these weights holding us down, weighing us down. I remember years ago, I heard a sermon and the preacher gave this analogy that stuck with me. He said, imagine you're in a boat and you come across a man drowning and he's flailing his arms around and struggling to breathe. And you shout, hey, let me help you here. I'm going to throw you a life preserver. Take the life preserver. And the man drowning says, I don't want a life preserver. Throw me a bowling ball. And you're like, wait, what? A bowling ball? Yeah, that's what I need. Throw me the bowling ball. And you're thinking, uh, if I throw this person the bowling ball, what's going to happen? 
they're they're going to sink to the bottom of the ocean and die. And the reality is that that person might believe that the bowling ball can save them. They might believe with their whole heart that the bowling ball can save them, that the bowling ball will keep them afloat. They, they could have even from a young age have been taught that the bowling ball is what they need to survive. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter what the person believes about the bowling ball. The, the reality is, what is the fact about the bowling ball? It's a heavy, dense object that will make them sink. And there are so many things in our life, sins and ambitions and personal dreams and goals and anxieties and fears and hopes and all of these things that we can look to and say, this is what will save me. This is what will redeem me. This is what will give me life. This is what will help me. This is what will keep me afloat. But in reality, it's just a big old bowling ball. And if we grab onto it, we will sink. And Jesus stands in the boat and says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I will throw you the life preserver. Will you take it? I want to ask you right now to think about your life. Think about your weights, your sins, your problems, your relationships, your fears, your hopes, your dreams. For many of you, there is a specific thing in your mind right now that you know is holding you back from holiness, causing you to drift into slumber and spiritual apathy. You're asleep to the reality of how much he loves you, what his story is, his calling, his purpose for your life. If that's you listening and you know there is something holding you back, I just want to invite you Right now, as you're listening to this episode, in the quietness of your own heart, pause and take a moment to connect with Jesus and just say, God, I surrender all to you. I want to be holy. I want to be dedicated to you. I want to be set apart. I want to give you my whole heart. He loves you so much and he desires so much for you to wake up. Please remember, holiness does not mean perfection. It means dedication to the perfect one. And the reality is your dedication will not even be perfect because you're human. Read the story of the 12 disciples and you will see their dedication was nowhere near perfect. But they were dedicated to Christ. They made that commitment in their mind, in their heart. That's where it starts. Start with dedication. Start with holiness. Remember the story of God, remember your loved, and then channel that knowledge into a dedication. Surrender your weights, surrender your burdens, give it to Jesus, and watch what he does with it. Away.
Sim.